So about a week ago, um, I'm standing at the ocean's edge in Newport Beach, which I know, rough life, I know. Um, And instantly I'm reminded, first of all, how small I am and how big God is. It's a good reminder. The ocean always does that. But even better, the waves were great, which I didn't understand at the time. Like, there's these yellow, for those of you that are from the ocean, there's these yellow flags with black dots on. Like, it's probably not the best time to go swimming. But anyways, um, go out there and it's nice and rough and the waves are big. And so out a little further so that you can try and body surf and all that kind of stuff. And as I'm there, I look to my left and 10 feet away, this seal's head pops up. And he just looks at me and I just look at him like, I think we're both frozen in time. Like weird. You have gray hair. Weird. Yours is smooth and you don't have any hair. Um, Disappears. And I'm like nervous at this point. Like, huh? Is that normal? Is that like other side pops back up about eight feet away, pops back up and just stares at me again. So I stare at him because this is cool. Like this is a seal, right? And then all of a sudden, my mind goes to, wait a minute, they did a whole episode on Shark Week of why sharks are coming into the shallows, and it's your fault, Seal! Right? So now I'm there, and I'm like, oh, shadows, 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 shadows. Right? And of course, when you're looking for a shadow, you always find a shadow. You know how that is? I'm like, ah! And then, so there was people over here, and I'm like, well, I'm going to go over with people, right? Because then the shark has choice. Like... (laughs) You know, but what's interesting is in Galatians, right? In this free bird series, we've been going along and it's been a whole lot of theological. Jesus did this for you. You don't have to rest in the law. You can rest in grace. Um, that freedom that, that Jesus purchased for you now, you can say no to these things. You can say yes to the spirit. If you were here a few weeks ago, Ron had people running up this side and he was over here and he made this distinction that it's better that we're connected, that we're better. The closer we are to the Holy Spirit, the easier it is to follow. And so we've been in anchored into this type of thought, right? This, this idea that, that within that, within where we've been has been extremely theological, But it's been all about freedom. And just like our friend the seal was free, there's also some dangers to that freedom. There are also some shadows that turn out to be sharks, right? And what happens now is in Galatians, as we hit chapter 6, there's a change now. And what we're going to find is coming right out the gate of chapter 6, it gets extremely practical. It's not this big theological out there thing anymore. It's now pulling it down to a practical level. And on that practical level, it now begins to give us warnings. Just like if you were to tell the seal who's free for the whole ocean, you better watch out for sharks. So if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to jump in at verse 1. And again, the context that we just left was this. That if... If you walk in the spirit, you will not what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the spirit, if you keep step with the spirit, the things that are going to be produced in your life are love, joy, peace, patience, and so on and so on, right? The the fruit of the spirit will come out of your life when you are anchored and close and in step with the spirit of God. That's the context we come out of. 
Brothers and sisters. Okay, brothers and sisters. Let's just pause there for a moment because it's giving us context. And this actually takes a swing at some incorrect theology that's out there right now. Brothers and sisters is a what kind of term? Family, right? This is the in the house of God. This is, this is the ones that, that are in the family of believers. He's saying brothers and sisters, he's speaking to them. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And here, here's that warning, right? But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted, right? So, so he says, brothers and sisters, family, if someone is caught in a sin. Now, now the language becomes really important because this word caught, the idea of caught is this, that you're running a race, you're, you're in step with the Spirit, you're running a race with the Spirit, you're in step, but sin was faster than you, and sin got ahead of you, it overtook you, and it cut in and it captured you. Okay, the word caught here is that this is not a lifestyle for that person. It's that this person was going along and got blindsided by this sin. This sin caught them. It, it overtook them. So someone, so, so, and where it swings at some theological stuff is there are people that say, well, once you meet Jesus and you receive the Spirit, you can't sin. You should have told Paul, right? Because according to Paul... Paul says very clearly that if someone is caught in a sin, someone who was trying to, what's the context? Someone who was trying to pursue walking in the Spirit. They got blindsided. They got overtaken. They're caught in a sin. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you who are in step with the Spirit of God, you who are walking in the Spirit. By the way, one of the things we do poorly sometimes is we're not walking in the Spirit, yet we're trying to restore someone else. Be on guard. That's what the end of this is. Be careful. You know why it never works when somebody who is not walking in the Spirit is trying to restore somebody? Because what, that restoration process is a spiritual act. Here's how I know, right? So, so as it gets into it, it goes, live by the Spirit, so those in step with the Spirit should restore. That word restore, um, it's used in the... If you look back at the time how the word was used in a secular sense, in a non-church sense, it was used like to set bones. It was a medical um, word that was used. So if you had a fracture, this was the process of setting that bone. The idea behind that is that there was a design function for this, whatever limit was. There was a design function, and because it broke, it can no longer function as it's supposed to. So the restoration is putting it back as it was, and now it can function as should. Another way that it's used in, in biblical um, language is the fishermen. So the disciples, when Jesus came to them, that they're mending their nets, right? They're putting their nets back together so they can be used for what they were intended for. The idea here is in the context of freedom, the believer is free. They're caught in a sin. What you're supposed to do is restore them, bring them back to the way that they were created in Christ Jesus to be free. That's your goal. Restoration is your goal to see them walk in step with the Spirit, to see them free from the sin that's enslaving them, right? So restore that person. What's this word? Gently. You know the last place you saw that word in Galatians? 5.23. It's within the fruit of the Spirit. It's what the Spirit produces in your life. 
That is why you cannot restore somebody gently. You cannot produce something that the Spirit produces if you're not in step with the Spirit. So, so this idea that, that as we go along, we are to restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, right? Watch yourselves. Make sure that you're not caught in it. The idea that's coming out of this is, church, we need one another. And I don't know about you, but this is an encouraging verse to me. To know that as I'm going along, if all of a sudden I'm blindsided, you're not going to come along and shoot me because I'm wounded. You're going to come along and those of you who are living by the Spirit are going to meet me in that pain, meet me in that suffering, and you're going to restore me. You're going to take me and you're going to help me get back to the way God intended for me to be. That's encouraging. That should give us hope for one another. That should. That by the way, if, you, if you've been in sin and you feel like that person's come along and harshly like tried to restore you or you've been beat over the head, that is not what this verse is talking about. That we're to come and we're to restore gently. By the way, the word gently is not weak. It is strength under control. It is genuine humility. This is not a weak like come along and let them run all over you. This is a, I'm going to come, I'm going to be firm, but I'm going to be extremely humble. Because I know at any moment it could be me. Verse 2 picks up on this then. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. The context is sin, so one of those burdens would be sin. But now he's expanding even further, right? He's expanding further. This word burden is a four-letter word in the Greek. It sounds like bear in our language, right? But the, the idea behind this is that you would carry, you would bear one another's burdens. Now, the word for burden looks more like this. It's a load that you weren't designed to carry. It's a load that has been put on you that you're going to carry for a long time. It's a load that there's no way you by yourself are going to stand and be able to carry it. It's a load that if you carry it long enough, it's going to crush you. Yes, it's sin, but it's also those things of life that come along that when they do, we know we can't do this alone. Has anybody in the room, by a show of hands, ever had something that was so big you couldn't carry it alone? Keep your hands up. Take a look around. You're in good company. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look how many people in the room are saying, I didn't tell you to put your hands down. What are you guys doing? <laughs> How many people in the room have had something that they go, I can't bear this. I got something for you. You can put your hands down. I got something for you. Out there, there's these things called life groups. And there are sign-ups today. Because what you just all admitted to is you need people. What this verse is saying is you need believers to come alongside you when you can't carry it and carry it for you. I got news for you. In the lobby, you can go out there today, meet incredible leaders, and sign up for something that you're committing. I'm going to show up to this, right? You sign up, but what you're saying is this, that I get it, that life is hard, these burdens are too big to carry, and if I don't get connected to people soon, connected to believers... 
I'm going to get crushed under the weight of them. Church, you were designed for one another. You need one another. By the way, on small groups, just for a second. I'm going to try and be nice, okay? Do you know your small group's not about you? Sorry, life group. You know your life group's not about you? Here's what I mean. I hear so many people that go, they just don't have one that's really for me. Why? Is there animals in it? Because according to this verse, it's who? It's people, believers, carrying each other's burdens. You just need people that care about you and love you. That's it. You don't need one that meets your demographic of life. You don't need one that's all about you. You need one where there are people that when push comes to shove, and as this verse says, the unbearable weight comes on you, you need them to show up. You were designed for this. And according to this verse, we are to bear one another's burdens. Those things that are too big for you to carry alone. If you never had any, hang around. They're coming. Verse 3 carries on this way. Because there's two things that this begins to lay out that will hinder you from carrying somebody else's burdens. So if anyone thinks, if anyone thinks it's going on up here, right, they are something. When they are not, they deceive themselves. If anyone thinks they are something, that word something, by the way, is that you're important, right? That you're some big deal. This is in your head, like whether it's your job and you're the top of the top of the whatever in your job world, right? And you're, you're the boss and everybody bows to you. And so that starts to get in your head. And now you really think you're something and you step in the spiritual world. And here's what happens. While you think you are something, you will never help everybody. You will be selective in who you actually help. And like just in a moment of honesty, right? We do this with God. I've had moments where I do something, right? I do something, it turns out really good, and I'm like, man, God, you got a good deal when you got me. Did you just say that? And God's looking at me like, you're an idiot. I put a verse in the Bible just for you, right? The idea that all of a sudden we can begin to inflate our own egos, but the problem is we're called to carry one another's burdens. I will not extend to your burden while I think I'm something. Is there anybody in your world that you have recently or that you can think of didn't help because you just didn't like something about them? In that area, you think you're something. What this verse is saying is, remind yourself you're not. Remind yourself you're not. You know that every good thing you do first comes from God who is good. And he picks up on this, right? He plays with this in verse 4. Each one should test their own actions. 
Each one should test. That word test is what you do with gold, right? When you're trying to purify it, you burn off the bad. You burn off the dross and you end up with the pure. That's what you're doing. You go through this process, right? That's what the word test is. Like like test. Put it to the test. Put heat on it. Find out what it's made of, right? So he says, okay, each one should test their own what? Actions. Each one should test their own actions. You know why? Your actions don't lie. Your mouth does. Right? My mouth can say whatever I want it to say. I, can, I mean, we're in the year of the we're in election, right? We know you can say whatever you want, and your life ain't backing it up, right? But anyways, um, but it's that idea that if you want to know where your trust is, if you want to know where you're anchored to, if you want to know who you're following, if you want to know who you're connected to, Take a look and test your actions. For example, if I test my actions and they come out to be love, where does love come from? It is a fruit of the spirit. If my life does not have love, I probably know I'm not connected to the spirit of God. But here's the other thing. When you test your actions, your actions instantly, if they come out and you have these characteristics, you go, man, it looks like Jesus, right? Guess what? You don't all of a sudden go, man, I'm really good. All of a sudden you go, look what God is doing through me by the power of his spirit. And instantly, I don't think I'm something. I actually know that I'm not without him. See how that works? When I get to that point then, now I'll help anybody. Because I know it's not me, it's him. Carries on. Then, hang on, sorry, back. I didn't finish Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing, without comparing themselves. So, so hang on. He just said, test your actions to know who you really are. Right. But see, we don't like to do that because it's way easier to compare ourselves to one another. It's way easier to look at you and figure out, wow, they're really harsh and mean. I'm not harsh and mean. I'm nothing like them. See how that works? And what happens is as long as I'm comparing myself to you, I'm actually not discovering who I really am and am I really in step with the Spirit. As long as I'm looking at you and going, by the way, you ever thought about this? How do you know you're tall? How do you know you're short? How do you know you're fat? How do you know you're thin? How do you know you're pretty? How do you know you're whatever the other option is? You ever think about that? If, if you existed in a vacuum, you'd think they're all there was. And you'd be completely content. We only get discontent because we begin to compare ourselves with one another. Oh man, my nose, God, why in the world would you put this on my face? Like, it's unusually large. Right? Brad has bigger muscles than me. What? How do I know that? At some point, I looked at Brad and then looked at me and went, I got to go to CrossFit. <laughs> like, but this comparing thing, when we, when we do it spiritually, it can become crippling. Because when we compare with one another, we begin to decide if I'm loving or joyful or if I'm patient or kind or gentle, right? We begin to go, or if I'm faithful, we begin to compare it to, well, well, let's put it this way. I've never cheated on my wife, so I must be faithful. Really? Because that's not what Jesus said. 
Jesus said there's way more going on that has to do with the soul level, not your action level, right? Jesus got way inside and then he connected it to your actions. So while you think it's this physical thing, Jesus is going, actually, remember that thought you had? See, as long as we compare to one another, we'll never actually get to where we are. So then he carries on with this comparing idea, right? Next verse. For each one should carry their own load. Now, when I read this for the first time, I'm like, wait a minute, Paul, you just said carry each other's burdens, and now you're saying carry your own load. What? Like, this sounds contrary. I'm not going to lie. This sound, when I first read this, I'm like, he contradicted himself in four verses. Awesome. I get to preach that. And then I started to look at it. And that word load is not the same word as burden. And remember, the context is comparing ourselves to each other, right? And the word load sounds a whole lot like portion in English. They're two different words. This word load, by the way, is used speaking of a ship with cargo in it. It's used of a soldier with a rucksack. It's used of a traveler with a backpack. They're two different terms. And the term used for load carries the idea that whatever it is, it was designed for it. But here's the problem. We each should carry whose? Your own load. You have a load that has been designed just for you. And God knows that you can carry that load. You are built for this. That's the word that's used. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you feel like you have to make it through, whatever, whatever that is, whatever it is, and this is speaking now just to draw a distinction, this is the responsibilities of life. So for example, I have two living parents. I don't know why, but I do. They're getting older. There are responsibilities that will come on me that someone else may not have either by phase of life. And so what happens is we begin to look at this and we begin to compare loads like, God, that's not fair. Their backpack's black. Mine's red. Well, 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 God, look what's in theirs and look what's in mine. I got to take care of my parents. God, wait, wait, wait. Why don't they have to take care of theirs? Wait, wait, I got four girls and my brother got four boys. I'm going to ask God someday about that one, by the way. But like, like it can be easy to look at each other's loads, right? It can be easy for those that look at, I got four kids and you go, I got none and I can't have any and there's pain and there's, right? I get that. But that's, that's the responsibility of life that you've been placed under. And what, I, what this verse is saying is you are okay. You were designed for this. You can carry it. The other thing about what you carry, your load, it goes everywhere with you. You don't take it off. It's with you. It's part of you. It's entrenched in this is what you carry just like a ship carries cargo and a soldier carries a rucksack and a traveler carries a backpack. You carry a load that is unique to you. You have unique responsibilities. Some of you are the boss of where you work. Some of you are the lowest employee. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I know this. You can carry it. Some of you have marriages. And you are responsible for them. And some of you don't. 
And, and that's a different responsibility that you're going to carry, but you are designed for it. You can do it. Both have their equal challenges, but you know what? You can do it. It's your load to carry. It's unique to you. You were built for this. You were made for this. You can make it. But here's the problem, right? We just got done going. We're talking about carrying each other's burdens. We're talking about things that get in the way. If I begin comparing with them, it cripples me here. Because I'm so busy doing this. I'm so busy looking at my load and my focus is there that I can't carry anything. You were built to carry what God gave you. You can make it. But the good news is this, because you were built for it. By the way, you know what this is? This is your catalyst to trust Him. It's your catalyst. Your load is your God-given catalyst to remember to trust Him. Your load that you're carrying is designed to point you back to Him, back to Him, back to Him. How do I know? It goes everywhere with you. Right? And you were designed for it. And because you carry your own load, I'm free to carry someone else's. See, if I have one, one's pretty easy, right? We can curl one, right? Flip hands, it's fine, it's bearable. That's what it's talking about. See, if I get so focused on my load, then what happens is, and load is different, remember? Burdens crush you. You weren't meant to carry them. Load is different. It's the responsibilities of life. It's where you are. It's, it's the situations where you're in. Right? As you go through life, if I focus more on my load than I do on them, it will cripple me meeting them. Next verse gets a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So instructor is teacher, receives teaching in the what? Word, a.k.a. it's okay to pay people to do ministry. Paul's encouraging them here. Paul's telling them, oh, by the way, he's going, hey, as you're bearing each other's burdens, one of the burdens is those people that are teaching you and instructing you in a word, it's okay to pay them. Here's why I think this is beautiful that it's in there, is there are people that are challenging the organization of church in our world. There are people that are saying that it shouldn't be this way. It was never this way, right? It was never that you would have somebody and you would pay them. And aren't you glad we did tithing before I am? Because if the buckets were empty, this would be embarrassing. But anyways, right? But... But the idea is this, right? That, that what Paul is backing here is that for someone to teach you and instruct you and lead you and guide you and be involved and, and help you grow and mature, it takes, it can take an immense amount of time. It's okay to support them in doing that. It's actually backing up what we're doing. Church, this idea of ministry is biblical. Next verse. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
So, so now there's this jump, right? So, so, now, so now Paul's been talking all the way through, carrying each other's burdens, and now he jumps to, don't be deceived, don't turn, and this word idea of God cannot be mocked is literally to turn up your nose towards God, and in turning up your nose, it's in contempt, you're essentially mocking God, and the way that you do that is by your life, and here's what I mean. We've gone through Galatians, and you've been given a whole bunch of truth. The way that you mock God is you go, you know what? The verse that you guys read about if I walk, if I walk by the, the flesh, I'll reap the things of the flesh, that whole idea, the, the, you know, live by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the If I choose then to sow, because it's talking about what I sow, I reap, right? If I sow, if I treat that like it's not true and I sow to the things of my flesh, I do what I want, I take what I want, here's the thing. You cannot expect the Spirit of God to bless you. You cannot expect the Spirit of God to do things of the Spirit when you are choosing to invest into things of sin, things of the flesh, things of that nature. And so what he says here is, God won't be mocked, y'all. This book tells you how to live. This book tells you the best way to be human. If you choose to not do it, then you just need to know that God cannot be, you're deceived and God cannot be mocked. What you sow, where I put my time, my effort, my, my beliefs into, that is what you will reap out of. And he goes a step further to make sure we're really clear on this because he connects it back to our freedom in verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap What? destruction. Whoever sows to their flesh, that's what you're going to reap. That's all you can reap. If you're here today and you are caught in a sin and you have been stuck in that sin for a while, this verse gives us a word picture that I think is worth sharing. That if you were in a sin and you were stuck there today and you know if that's you or not, right? The picture that destruction is, is of a dead corpse. That is rotting and decaying. That's the image. That if you reap to that, all you can get is death and destruction and decay. And then he flips it and he says, whoever sows to please the spirit, whoever takes what we've talked about, the freedom that you have in Christ, and I sow it into the spirit, I'm going to stay in step with the spirit. Then what is produced in your life is it says here, From the Spirit will reap what? Eternal life. Now, Jesus said eternal life was to know the Father. Right? Eternal life began the day you said yes to Jesus. And it shows up in all sorts of ways. You know how it is? If I walk in step with the Spirit, right? I sow to the Spirit. It says that I'll produce love. You know that love is eternal? What's done in love will never fade. You know why? God is love. God is eternal. Love does conquer. Love does win. Because it's the very nature and essence of God. And and so where it says there's joy, right? When, When you anchor in, you stay in step with the Spirit, and what's produced in your life is true joy in the midst of circumstances no one understands. But you have joy, right? That joy not only impacts the here and now, that joy goes to where? All of eternity. You reap eternal rewards right here and right now. 
The way you do that is you take this book to be true and you go, you know what, I've been given freedom in Jesus, freedom to walk in the Spirit and anchor in the Spirit. And as I do that, there's a harvest coming. Next verse picks up on this. Let us not, let us not become weary in doing good. One of the things I love, 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 love about the Bible as it connects with my humanity. I don't know about you. I get tired of doing good. I get weary. I get worn down. And this word good, by the way, is it's, it's everything that is beautiful in essence. They're beautiful in and of themselves. And it says, let us not become weary of doing the things that are beautiful in and of themselves. Let us not become weary of doing good. Why? Because for at the proper time, which God knows, and that's where we got to trust, right? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we what? Do not give up. Do not give up. For at the proper time, you know why people give up? I did good to that guy and I never saw anything from it. I did good to them and I never saw anything from it. I did good to them and I never saw anything from it. I keep doing these beautiful things and I never see any, anything grow. I never see the harvest. What this verse is doing is going, don't get weary, church. The call on your life is to do good. One more verse. Therefore, in light of this whole carrying each other's burdens, in light of reaping and sowing, in light of doing good, as we have what? What's the next word? Opportunity. Let us do good to how many people? All. If there's ever a message that our world needs today, it's this one right here, that we are to do good. The church, the people of Jesus Christ are to do good to all people. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they classes their sexual orientation. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter what divides us. What we're called to, church, is we are called to do good. That word good, by the way, is what benefits them, not me. We're called to do what is beneficial to them. It is a call on your life to all people. May we be the leaders, church. May we be the people that are on the front lines going, we're not letting this stuff divide us because we got a purpose and we got a call and it comes from a heavenly place that we will do good. We will benefit everyone. Especially, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Right here, church, with each other, this is where good is supposed to reign the most. Especially in this place. Especially with one another. Now, there's one word. Opportunity. As we have opportunity. I want you to do something for me. Ready? Everybody breathe in. Breathe out. One more time. You know what that is? That is your biblical place in this verse called opportunity. You're still breathing. Opportunity is a season of time. It's the season of your breath. You're still breathing, church. So you are called. It is an opportunity to do good. 
It is an opportunity to take your unique life with your unique pack. By the way, did you know there's only one of you? You are so unique. And I don't mean that cliche wise. I mean that like, just think about it for a second. No one else has the makeup of you with the story of you with all of the parts that make up you. You are unique. And what God is calling you to do is to step out on his behalf, to lead the parade, to do good on his behalf. Why? Because God is good. And when you do good, you put him on display. So take your God-given pack, because it goes everywhere with you anyways. Take your load, carry it well, carry one another's burdens, put him on display. How? By doing good to all. God, we love you so much. We're thankful for you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for freedom. Thank you that freedom means today, God, that we can walk and step with the Spirit, and the things that are produced will last for all of eternity. God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to carry each other's burdens. Give us the courage to restore each other gently. Give us the wisdom to walk this life out well. God, may you make the aroma that comes from this church and from the lives of this church and the uniqueness of the people you've placed here. God, would you allow that aroma to go out as those who do good to all, especially the family. Thank you for Jesus and the power of resurrection that makes this all possible. We love you. And everybody said, amen.